Who would have thought we'd even be having this conversation six months ago? While many of us were frantically making summer plans, booking flights, and daydreaming of beaches, we couldn't have known that the very possibility of travel, something we so took for granted, might be up in the air. And now, with the reopening of many services and a return to some sense of normalcy, one big question that we'll need answering is what that might mean for our local tourist spots. Over the next half hour, we'll hear from a few people who are well positioned to answer questions just like that. I'm Blaise Kemna, and you're listening to the Canadian Mountain Podcast. While tourists and outdoorsy folks may have been frustrated by not being able to enjoy their favourite mountain activities during the COVID-19 shutdown, the pause in activity has also affected the tourism-based economies of mountain destinations themselves. We do miss our visitors. It's very strange in our community to not have people visiting the energy, the vibe. I mean, it's a it's a small town of 9,000 people, but we are this, you know, sort of world-recognized destination. That's Banff Mayor Karen Sorensen. I spoke to her on the day that the town announced their reopening. I wanted to know how the shutdown had affected her town and the planning that has gone on behind the scenes to ensure both residents and tourists will be safe and satisfied when they visit Banff this summer. Can you briefly describe sort of the ramifications of the COVID-19 shutdown? Really, when this happened, 90% uh, of our economy is directly or indirectly supported by tourism. And in a very few days, that came to a screeching halt, as we all know. So Banff generates about $3 billion in economic activity for the province of Alberta every year. And that uh, economic impact, uh, not only obviously for our community, but for other levels of government, is also well devastating. As soon as the international borders were closed and restrictions were implemented... Almost all the Banff businesses closed themselves, of course, other than essential services. Attractions were closed, the ski hills closed down, everybody uh, closed down. So when we normally have about, um, you know, 4 million people here a year, and we've lost probably three months of that, that makes uh, a big impact. The other interesting thing in our little town is we have a lot of people who work here who are not Canadians. Uh, We have a lot of uh, people from around the world. So with the layoffs and the intention that a lot of countries were calling their people home, we also lost a lot of our employee base. Uh, So as we relaunch, as we reopen, that becomes a concern. Are you guys expecting a large influx of visitors right off the bat? Or do you think people will be cautious, hesitant? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? It's hard to tell. I think There is a real mix there. I know that Albertans have been anxious to get back to the mountains, and I think we will see a couple of relatively busy weekends compared to what it's been the last couple of months. But when you compare it to May and June in previous years, I don't anticipate it being as busy as it normally is at this time of year. What we know is that 50% of our visitors come from outside of Canada. So even though we know that Travel Alberta is encouraging uh, travel within Alberta, we're encouraging travel within Alberta, and eventually um, the other promotion out there is the big Canadian road trip. 
helping families get in their vehicles and drive to different destinations in their country. All that's great. But when we depend on 50% of our visitation from outside of Canada, I believe that Banff will have a good summer, but I don't think it will be the level of visitation that we have seen for the fa- uh, past couple of years, past few years. Some of our businesses are saying, like, for instance, let's use a hotel. If they get to, you know, 30 to 40% of the business that they had the last few years, they'll they'll think that that is pretty good under the circumstances. Now, kind of the whole reopening process is no <laughs> small feat, I can imagine. What do you foresee as some of the challenges in that process? Well, I think... First and foremost, going back to the social distancing piece, uh, Mm -hmm. we do like people to get out of their cars and walk. And we also like people to use transit wherever possible. So we have to prepare for the fact that people are probably going to be more uncomfortable on any type of public transit. And then what we decided or council moved forward with just a couple of days ago was to close the 100 and 200 block of Banff Avenue, which to to vehicular traffic. Um, And that is the main the main downtown core of Banff. And so the intention there is uh, two or threefold, first and foremost, safety. So by providing that extra space for pedestrian flow, our sidewalks on Banff Avenue are actually quite wide, but understanding that some businesses will need to have lineups outside their door waiting for people to get in, uh, that's going to create an issue where we have to allow for social distancing there. And then in addition to that, having the pedestrian numbers that we have, then they will have the street to actually walk on and, and assure that they can socially distance. And the other benefit of this is with the intention to allow more outdoor seating for our restaurant sector and some outdoor retailing, which is very unusual for Banff. We don't do that normally out on the sidewalks as well, because the stores or the restaurants have to limit the number of people in them. And so by offering extra space, hopefully the businesses can have more success in terms of selling their their wares. We are very aware that there are businesses hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. and anything we can do to assist them in creating business opportunities is, is a good thing at this point. Right. So kind of piggybacking on that, can you tell me a little bit more about the economic task force that's been put together? And I also saw you spoke a little bit about how you see it as not just something that will sort of get us by in the interim here, but also even springboard into, you know, more opportunity in the future. Can you expand on that? Yeah, that's a great comment and a great question. And I I think all over the world, people are stopping and pausing and saying, hmm, wonder how we could do things a bit differently and and ideally a bit better. Um, I think we've all learned a lot through this and it has been devastating in so, so many ways. Uh, And yet every once in a while you see, something that makes you stop and think, oh, well, we wouldn't have known that had this had this not happened. So we have created an economic task force. Uh, it's made up of Parks Canada, Banff Lake Louise Tourism, Banff Lake Louise Hospitality Association, and the town of Banff. That being said, we are actively going to go out into community, residents, industry, stakeholders, and ask for their uh, feedback as we move into these objectives 
objectives. The objectives of the task force, uh, first and foremost, and we keep saying it, but it's true, safely reopen the destination. So there's been, that's what we've been working on is how do we reopen the destination safely? Uh, Welcoming people back. We have been sending the message for quite some time now, please stay away. And it's really important. And I appreciate another opportunity to say, you know, welcome back. We're ready to have you. We took time to prepare. Thanks for waiting. So we want to welcome everyone back. Uh, Protect our brand is another big part of the task force. You know, Banff and the National Park are seen as pristine, clean, healthy, safe places to be. And that is part of our brand. And we want to make sure that that's, in fact, what people experience uh, when they do come back. Certainly, coordinated communication is the fourth objective, and that is huge. And we've done a great job of it so far with all of our partners, Parks Canada, Tourism, et cetera, all working together with the same communication message. And I think it really, really benefits the public when they're hearing one consistent message from the destination. And then to your point, the fifth objective is to seek opportunities to test future sustainable approaches. And I do think that this gives us as a destination, a world-renowned destination, an opportunity to pause and say, in this time of drastic change, this might be a chance to do a couple of things differently. And what might those be? And how might we do that? So we kind of have our head in the weeds right now, just trying to relaunch, but there has to be a much bigger conversation around what will our market be? When will the international market come back? Who will the international market be? Will, you know, what's going to happen to the airline industry? And then once we understand who will be available to come and visit, yeah, what, what do we want to look at and look like? And is there anything that we want to look different than it has historically? Because it, you know, I, I like the term, the great big pause, which is what uh, my 20 somethings are calling this. And uh, I, I think it's a great term, you know, it has been an opportunity to pause and reflect and think about the future. And I, I'm excited about that conversation. Despite the hit Banff and its residents have taken due to the shutdown, it appears they are resiliently gearing up for another summer of tourism, albeit an abnormal one. And who knows, maybe this great big pause Mayor Sorensen speaks of will have long-term benefits. I'm Blaise Kemna, and you're listening to the Canadian Mountain Podcast. So Mayor Sorensen and her team are doing everything they can from their end of things. But that begs the question, what will the tourists do? How will they approach travel? Have they felt caged enough during quarantine conditions that they'll swarm the parks in full force once they're open? Or will they be hesitant because of the risks? It's these sorts of questions that Mount Royal University Professor of Ecotourism and Outdoor Leadership, Joe Pavelka, wanted to answer when he began a study around the travel fears and aspirations associated with COVID-19. Because of the quarantine conditions, I reached him virtually at his home in downtown Calgary to discuss his preliminary findings, as well as how past crises may give us an indication of what to expect as the tourism industry gets kick-started again. Being a person who studies tourism, I have in the past looked at the way we responded to 9-11 and the way that we we responded to the 0708 financial crash. And there's a pattern there. And the pattern 
is that everything shuts down for a period of time, a very brief period of time, as in the past. And then we tend to come back in vehicle travel, so rubber tire traffic, and regionally. That's the way that we tend to come back. And getting on a plane, I think getting on a plane for a very large portion of the population is one of the greatest fears and aspirations. Because it is a quintessential form of travel. Having said that, it's the first thing that we give up when there's any sort of major disruption, as in the past. So I certainly expected that air travel would be slow. And that's just based on looking at what has happened in the past. So that was my general hypothesis. Now, I've also been reading quite a bit in, in, in the last few years on the resiliency of tourism and the resiliency especially of the outdoor sector. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I have it somewhere, whereby the outdoor adventure sector through the both of those disruptions, 9-11 and the, and the financial crash, did actually quite well. And it experienced a very minor blip. And then when you look at the numbers after the crash in 08, Millennials started to travel like crazy, and and their travel went up. Uh, I don't know somewhere in the nature of around forty seven, forty five percent in a five year period. So there's these unexpected things that arise, and there's things that we, you know, we can fairly confidently predict. So. As far as the research you're doing now, can you tell me, obviously that was, I mean, for me at least, it seems like an overwhelming task to kind of go from a hypothesis then to actually figuring out what is the reaction going to be in light of the COVID pandemic. So what did your process method sort of development look like? How have you gone about the study? So it was it was all quite quick because I knew that I had to get something out quickly, not knowing how long isolation was going to occur. And I and I truly believe that I would have valuable research if I could capture people while they were in isolation. So then I thought, okay, it's really up to me to put together my own survey. I'm not really going to be following anyone. So I put together a bunch of items and I wanted it to be relatively small. I thought that that was important in order for me to be able to capture a bunch of more participants. I did not want like a 250 item questionnaire. It's, uh, I think it's only about 45 items. It's about a eight to 10 minute survey. And I broke it down into three sections. The first section is really some overarching questions around travel thinking about personal travel when we have the opportunity to travel again. And then the second section, I really tried to zone in on specific travel-related fears. And, and then, sorry, the third section is the really big one, and that's a two-part question on what types of travel are not likely, likely, or very likely to be engaged in when travel is opened up again. So can you break some of those down for me? What are people Absolutely. More, Absolutely. most concerned about? In the first part, I have 12 items in and around travel. And the items 
that score the highest in terms of agreement are items such as, eventually I will return to my previous pattern of travel. That's almost 90%, and I have 1,700 responses. Hmm. Almost 90% have said that they want to return to their previous pattern of travel. But close behind is, I will only travel to places I think are safe from a health perspective. And I find that very interesting because post 9-11, you would have heard a similar response that people would only travel to places they thought were safe from a terrorist perspective. So now, of course, the focus is on health. I will be returning to travel as soon as the restrictions are lifted. 60% have said that. So basically what I'm reading in this first section is that people are very keen to return to travel. They're very keen to travel to places they think are safe from a health perspective. They would like to travel to places that they think have modern medical facilities. That's a little bit of a shift. But I also ask this particular question, I am not comfortable traveling anymore, and only 13% agree or strongly agree with that. This sample is, is telling us that they want to return to travel. In terms of specific fears, I'll tell you the two strongest fears, and, and they are um, supported by two-thirds of the sample. The two strongest fears are being away from family and friends during a pandemic and being around large crowds related to tourism or events. Those are the two strongest fears. Being stuck in a foreign country during a pandemic is also up there, but it's really those two. And I think that they're, you know, it's interesting because so many of our tourism destinations here in Canada are about crowds. Banff, (laughs) Jasper, Whistler, Niagara Falls, it goes on and on. And certainly our mountain destinations have a little bit of a reputation for being crowded. Being around large crowds related to tourism is supported as a strong fear by 66% of the sample thus far. And that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, I think, for a lot of our mountain destinations here in Canada and certainly in the U.S. as well. If I'm hearing you correctly, people will not necessarily be traveling with reckless abandon, but they do want to be traveling. Absolutely. And that's a good way to put it. I think that they they really want to travel, but they are going to be aware of what they're doing. So in another in in another part of this study, I asked people if they participated in a variety of different types of tourism. And then I asked how likely they would be to participate in that same type of tourism in the 12 months after travel restrictions are lifted. So this actually holds very strong promise for the outdoor sector and certainly for mountain-related tourism. And I'll tell you why. Traveling to a national park or nature destination was either likely or very likely scored 
by 91% of the population. It is a very strong destination for travel after restrictions are lifted. The only thing that comes close to that is a trip by car in my own country or region, which is also very, you know, it could be a part of a national park or nature destination trip, and then to visit family and friends. So basically the two strongest types of trips are nature-related, visiting a national park, and to see friends and family. And how are they going to do it? They're in all likelihood going to be doing it by car, and it's going to be certainly domestic. Very interesting. So it sounds like sort of on one side, as far as our national parks are concerned, you might have people who are less willing to go because of the crowds. But then on the other hand, it's the sort of trip that they might be more likely to take at the same time. Very good. So this is going to put a great deal of pressure on land managers and destination managers being Banff, Jasper, Whistler, etc., to try and manage those crowds. I think if they can do that, it's going to be very positive for the tourism industry because they're going to get a lot of business. And it's going to be very positive for the tourists because I think that there's a great demand to get outside. People want to get outside. Now, is there any information you've gleaned from the research so far that maybe indicates if perhaps the crowds were to persist and people are still wanting to go to national parks, which sort of desire would outweigh the other? Is there anything that might indicate the weighting of those two? No, no, there isn't. But I think when we get into the data, and certainly what we've seen in the past outside of the study, is that certain cohorts are much more willing to weather the crowds than others. So would it be a younger cohort that would say, let's say a 35 and under, 30 and under cohort that would say that they are willing to, or more willing to put up with crowds if they can be outside, perhaps? But it is, it is more likely to be, I think, determined by a certain psychographic as opposed to a demographic. So, you know, it's more likely that you will have a type of person that says, travel is very, very important to me. I trust this type of travel. I have to put up with crowds to a certain degree, even though they'll probably be quite careful. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to put up with crowds in order for me to have this experience. You know, but there's other things here to know. So we have some very strong categories, which is basically anything to do with a national park and a nature destination. We have other product categories, such as cruise travel, which is shown to be not likely. Trip to a major city is not likely. A trip to a major attraction, such as Disneyland, that dropped very substantially. Hmm. All-inclusive gated resort vacations also dropped. Now, this is important. And it's important because within the same sample, you have people, because travel is all push and pull. And what we have is a very interesting dynamic. And and this dynamic is that we have a great push. And the push is that people are being isolated. And my goodness, they want to travel. What is the pull? What is the pull going to be? Well, for some of these people, maybe they would have done a beach destination or they would have done an all-inclusive 
or maybe they would have gone to an attraction or, or a festival, which has also dropped quite a bit. Many of those product categories are deemed less viable or less attractive, only putting more pressure on the product categories that are viable. So pretty much anything related to the outdoors. Right. And travel by car. And this is where I think managers, land managers, and DMOs, and tourism in our area, in Alberta and and BC, really need to understand that it's not just about certain product categories are available to people, going to a national park, etc., but it's all the things they can't do now, or they're too afraid to do now, that are closed to them. I think that that is going to bring about considerable demand for mountain destinations in Western Canada. So what you might have happen is sort of ironically, people will avoid the places they expect to be highly populated in turn, Uh, making the places they thought were going to be less populated, actually more populated. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that happening, you know, and to that point, I have this one item, which I think is very interesting. One of the product categories is a trip I would refer to as ecotourism. What's interesting is that this is the only item which experienced an increase. So 45% of the sample indicated that they had done a trip that they would refer to as ecotourism. 56% of the sample said that they were likely or very likely to do a trip that they would refer to as ecotourism. I look at that and I think, is that because at some level people understand that ecotourism is remote? Yes. Mm. Small groups. When you think of ecotourism, you do not think of 700 people along a trail. Is that product category deemed more attractive when we start to combine the elements of nature and a fear of crowds? In light of sort of some of those challenges you you raised as being quite likely in a sense for places like Banff, um, national parks for us here in Canada. How are you hoping we can utilize the information you've gotten from the study in a way that's sort of applicable and actionable for, say, Banff? I think that there are many, many implications. You know, a lot of the topics that we've already covered in terms of very strong uh, desire to go out to mountain communities and national parks, etc. But, you know, the fact that Banff is crowded and, and the media has made it very clear that Banff is crowded makes it a problem. It's going to require some very clear strategy. What we know about the crowding in Banff is that residents, residents feel much more strongly about crowding and congestion in Banff than visitors. Visitors think it is a problem. Visitors cope in their own way. They do a lot of different things. But it's really the residents that drive the narrative of crowding in Banff. And they do believe it is extremely crowded. Now, that's not surprising because in this period of isolation, we have had quite a bit of media come out where where Banff and I think mostly Canmore residents have asked people to stay away. And that's not surprising. So 
For a place such as Banff, I would think that the first priority is alleviating the concerns of residents. Visitors are going to be concerned, but not nearly to the extent of residents. In in past research that I've done on crowding and congestion in Banff, that was pre-COVID, and residents demanded mitigations around crowding at that time. I can just imagine the imperative that they will feel now that crowding is attached to individual and public health. I think that that's going to be the biggest concern for a place such as Banff. It seems clear from Pavelka's study then that the landscape of travel will look quite different for the foreseeable future. Individuals will look for tourism options closer to home, with less focus on glamorous, globe-trotting wanderlust. As for the tourist hotspots themselves, Pavelka says the situation will require a clear strategy. And though it sounds like Mayor Sorensen has that covered, the answers to some questions will have to wait. For example, you might have noticed that Mayor Sorensen expects less international visitors, which is consistent with Pavelka's findings. But Pavelka also noted that rubber tire tourism, that is, car travel, might increase. So maybe Banff will also have more local visitors than usual. Will the numbers even come close to evening out? That remains to be seen. That's it for this edition of the Canadian Mountain Podcast in partnership with Mount Royal University Journalism. I'm Blaise Kemna. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you podcast to enjoy our latest episodes and updates. You can learn more about the Canadian Mountain Network at canadianmountainnetwork.ca.